please be seated for our Bible readings. The first reading this morning is taken from the first letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, the bulwark of truth. Without any doubt, the mystery of our religion is great. He was revealed in flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. And the second reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding. That your spirit would fall upon each of us as we hear these words to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just going to read a, a, a verse or two as well from Acts 2 that we're continuing with as well this morning. These very famous verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together. Where are you going? Where are you going to learn in this moment? In this season of liminality, who's influencing your decision making? Whose voices have, have got your ear and dominating your behavior? Maybe we're being fed by what we read or see or hear in the media. I don't know about you, but I find it's very easy to to just get influenced by what seems like a repeated barrage of, of sound bites, which seemed to make sense at the time without stopping to, to question why. And I find it just then leads to society drifting into patterns of behaviour. For some, we might have favourite authors that we follow or, or favourite commentators. 
We might wait expectantly for their newspaper article to come out each week or read their latest blog or listen to their podcasts. If you've got teenagers that are, that are grandchildren or some of you like me who've got teenagers, you'll know how much time they spend watching and being shaped by voices on social media. Maybe you feel, feel that you've reached the stage in your life where you've got nothing left to learn. Where are you going to learn? Where are you going to learn in this moment? Here's where I'm going to learn. As a pastor and priest, perhaps not surprisingly, above all, I'm listening to the voice of God's word. You see, it never ceases to amaze me how relevant this book is to every generation of life, right up to this present day. You know, when no one knows what this future might look like and when it might appear, I want to have learned to have acted like King Jehoshaphat and the men of Issachar did, Issachar did in their respective crises as is recorded in the book of Chronicles. If you were here on week one of this series, you might remember how I mentioned how King Jehoshaphat, when facing a great crisis, went before the Lord in front of the people of God when they were just surrounded by a greater enemy and said, we do not know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. For it's only when our eyes are on God and we've learned from him we'll be able to say, won't we, what was written earlier in the book of Chronicles, maybe 150 years before, about a previous time of crisis in the reign of King David. And there it's described how the men from the tribe of Issachar were those who had an understanding of the times that they knew what Israel ought to do. You see, as, as God kind of leads us through these stages of liminality, he's looking for a church to look at the new thing, the next thing, because that's what always happens when we go through a great crisis. He's looking for a people whose eyes are on him because then we will have an understanding of the times we live in and a godly wisdom to know what to do. For me, what that means is this. I'm looking at particular books in the Bible. I'm looking at reading, reflecting and praying around five books of the Bible in particular. They're the post-exilic books. The books of the pioneers of Ezra and Nehemiah, of the prophets Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi. Why? Because they were written in the context of the people of God returning to a situation after a great crisis of 70 years in exile. And while we may have been close to 70 weeks in an exile context, there are so many similarities, so many challenges, because what we find through the centuries is human behavior rarely changes when it's confronted with similar situations. Where are we going? Where are we going to learn in this moment. It's why we're exploring together God's vision of what it means to be his church. In May, what that looks like is we're exploring four of these different marks 
of what it means to be church as the early church interpreted all of Jesus' teaching. We've looked at how they were a caring church, of how they were a worshipping church, of how they were an evangelizing church. And this morning, we come to see how they were a learning church. It might not be the, the first thing that we'd actually think about when it thinks about a church, but the first words that we read in Acts 2 verse 42 that just summarized the church's life together was they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. If you don't know what the apostles' teaching would have meant, it would have meant the teaching of Jesus. Because after all, it was Jesus who taught most of the apostles, wasn't it? Because most of the apostles were first his disciples. For those apostles, they'd learned firsthand from Jesus, if you like, from, from being invited into the school of Jesus. And in the school of Jesus, they'd learned what would have been known as Jesus' yoke, a Jewish rabbinic, a Jewish teaching description of the day of Jesus' interpretation of the whole of the Old Testament and what it means to be human. And that's what they would have learned at school with Jesus. They'd have learned, wouldn't they, through, um, through parables, wouldn't they? Or we might say through stories. Because Jesus taught so often, didn't he? Through stories of, of the message that he was bringing of the kingdom of God. Of how he was inaugurating a whole new reign of a life of heaven on earth a life of love and hope and peace and justice but they they would have learned as well not just from the stories that he told they would have learned from the from the statements that he made because Jesus made an incredible amount of bold statements didn't he just think about John's gospel and those very famous I am statements that he made I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the bread of life. And, and so on from there. That just revealed who he was as God in human form. As he takes those disciples way, way back to the time before the exodus. And when Moses meets God at the burning bush and introduces himself as I am. See, that's why when we see in that reading that Rachel read for us from 1 Timothy 3, right at the end you see one of the very first signs of, of the apostles themselves trying to put together in a simple formula, actually a creedal hymn and prayer, who Jesus is. As he, they describe him in his incarnation, his resurrection, his ascension, before describing his ongoing work through the church as the incarnate, resurrected and ascended Lord. They would have learned from these statements that they then started to teach to others. And they would have learned as well through, through Jesus' sermons that he gave. Perhaps most famously of all, the, the Sermon on the Mount. As he just sets out his manifesto for godly living. They learned from being in the Jesus school. But that wasn't the only way that they learnt Jesus' yoke, his teaching. They also learned, if we read in verse 43, how awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. 
They didn't just learn Jesus' yoke and Jesus' teaching, if you like, by being in school. They also learned it, if you like, by serving their time. By being apprentices, if you like, on the road. Or perhaps sometimes in the water with Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just talk a good show. He demonstrated one as well. To show how he was, if you like, Lord over the physical world of creation. Lord over the demonic world. Lord over the world of sickness. And actually Lord over the world of the miraculous. And the disciples, the apostles that came to be, had seen and learnt firsthand with Jesus on the road. If you like what that looked like was at first it was like this, wasn't it? He just said to them, you watch and I'll do. He said, come and see, didn't he? Come and see, come with me to the wedding at Cana in Galilee. As you see water turning into wine. And then there came a moment where he said, you can help. I'll still do it, but you can help. Remember in the feeding of the 5,000, how he gives the disciples the job of handing out the bread and the fish to see the miracle before their very eyes. And then there came a turn the corner moment where he said to them, right, you do, and I'll help. And often what happens when we find ourselves in those situations, sometimes things don't go according to plan, do they? As the disciples tried to cast out the demon from the boy and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus has to step in and and then explain afterwards why they couldn't do it. And then before they knew it, they were doing it themselves. And Jesus was just watching as the 12 are sent out in ministry to do two by two and then the 72 later on. They learnt from being in the Jesus school. They learnt from being on the road with Jesus. But there's also a third way that they learnt. All who believed were together. See, it wasn't just that they were on the road with Jesus. It wasn't just that they were in school with Jesus It was just the fact that they were in community with him always. You know, the informal conversations that just happened as they walked along the road. Or as they they sat and ate a meal together. Perhaps best of all we see this, don't we, in Luke's Gospel. When they just come up to Jesus because they've just observed how Jesus acted and especially how Jesus prayed. And they came to him and they said, Lord, we've seen how you pray. We've seen how everyone else prays. We've seen how the synagogue leaders pray. We've seen how the other rabbis pray. And no one prays like you, so teach us how to pray. And thereafter, we get the most famous prayer in the world, don't we? This prayer of not just a type of prayer, but a model of prayer as well. Where are you going? Where are you going to learn? In this moment. Do you know what the greatest challenge is facing the world, facing the church today? Do you know what it is? You see, we, we, we knew it before COVID. And all the past 15 months has just shown is, it's just exacerbated it. 
It's just shown it and it's just revealed it even more starkly. It's, it's the church's failure, both globally and locally, to learn to live out what we heard in Matthew chapter 28. To live out Jesus' great commission. It's our failure to learn to live by the apostles' teaching. To make disciples. You know, Jesus gives four instructions, if you like, in that great commission to go, to make, to baptize, to teach. And the danger is, is that we give an equal weight to all four. But actually, one takes priority above the other three. Why? Well, you need to know a bit of Greek. But if you know a bit of Greek, what you'll know is that in that sentence of Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, three of those verbs are participles. One is a finite verb. This is how it works in Greek. The finite verb always acts as the hinge. What that means is it acts as the grammatical center of the sentence as well as the theological center of the sentence. And all the participles do while they're important. They just reinforce what the finite verb means. To go, to baptize, to teach are the participles. To make is the finite verb. Therefore, the reality for every church is that command to make disciples. And it's around making disciples, around that, all of the mission aspects of the church, whatever it is, whether it's going, whether it's baptizing, whether it's teaching, whether it's serving the poor, whatever. If we're not making disciples, we're failing. C.S. Lewis who said it, wasn't it? The church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ to make each one of us, you and me, little Christs. And of course that word disciple means a learner. It encapsulates this idea of of following as we learn because a disciple would have followed so closely behind their rabbi. Always learning. You know, we don't need the, the new economics foundation as they did on their recent research to tell us how always learning is so beneficial to our mental and emotional well-being because we had it in this book 2,000 years before. See, it's so interesting, isn't it, how many things today people talk about their mental and emotional well-being and how they talk about finding these new things as if they're something new. And they've all been written in this book 2,000 years before. And we're his disciples. To be people who are always learning, always following, always becoming the person Jesus would become if he were you or if he were me. You know, that challenge never changes. You know, if we want to experience the Jesus life, We have to live the Jesus lifestyle. And to me, that means that we live out the apostles' teaching as the apostles did. This lifelong learning assignment of just being with Jesus, of just simply being in his presence, 
of just simply spending time each day, wasting time with him, some would call it. But kind of as David defined it in Psalm 27, to be in your presence, to sit at your feet where your love surrounds me and makes me complete. It's what Jesus described in John 15 of abiding in him, what Brother Lawrence called the practice of the presence of God. It's a heart thing because the more time you spend in community with Jesus, just wasting time with him, the more you become like him. But it's not just about that. We have to enroll in the Jesus school. You see, it's never too late to learn. And I was speaking to someone the other day, a Christian leader, he's nearly 82. And his mind's just as curious as ever. You know, it's about learning to reflect upon this book. It's actually a head thing. Because... Transformation comes through the renewing of our mind and then it's about just getting on the road with him, isn't it? Doing what he would do if, if he were you. In the church, in the world. It's a hands thing. And then we'll be that learner that he talked about. We'll be that, that learning church fulfilling Jesus' great commission to make disciples of becoming the person Jesus would become if he were you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.